think uh, all of you heard a BJP national spokesman make a remark on national television saying that Christianity came to India before it went to Europe. Now, that might sound a very, very innocuous statement, but uh, the only thing is that it is not. Why it is not and why we need to debunk such notions, which is actually rooted around the myth of St. Thomas coming to India to spread Christianity. We have Maya Ramji with us from the United States and she runs the Mission Kali website and the Twitter account. And I think most of us who are following Jaipur Dialogues would know about it because we routinely keep retweeting every Mission Kali tweet. Welcome, Maya Ramji. How are you? Hope you're doing Namaskar. well. Namaskar, Sanjay Ji. I've been well. Shubh yeah, to want you. To know from you, especially for our uh, uh, viewers in the north of India, because I think in the south of India, people are still aware of uh, this St. Thomas myth. So please explain to them what exactly is this St. Thomas myth that we are going to talk about. And after that, we will go deeper into it and see why it is important to debunk it. Well, basically, the myth goes that St. Thomas, who was one of Jesus's 12 disciples, after Jesus's death came, went out east to, to Syria, to what is now Iran and Iraq. It was then called Persia and Babylon. Then going out to Gandhara, possibly, and then ending up in southwest India, now around Kerala. St. Thomas landed there, they say, around 52 CE. And there he was said to have converted a number of Namud, Nambu, <clears throat> sorry. Namudri, Namudri. Namudri uh, Brahmins in Kerala to Christianity until he was uh, until he was executed because due to jealousy. That's the myth. And Syrian Christians traced their origins back to supposedly when St. Thomas came and converted their ancestors. They claim that their ancestors were the original Namudri uh, Brahmins of Kerala. That's the myth. But the truth is, it's certainly not not even close to that. And even the, I should say, we'll go deeper into this, but I will say up front that even the, the Vatican does not believe that St. Thomas ever set foot in India, certainly. But the Santom Church is supposed to be in Mylapur near uh, Chennai. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get into that. But first, I just want to talk about the true origins of this Thomas fellow. And I got my notes here. It's it's quite it's quite an extensive topic, and many people, even in the South, they don't necessarily know this history. So, okay. so I just want to before you embark on this um, uh, deeper into this. I just want to know why is it important for uh, the Christian evangelists and uh, even Catholics who want to convert the Indians to their faith to have this uh, uh, myth going, or as a, or I would say, a complete hoax. Why do need they need to perpetuate this? It's a good question, and there are probably you know, there are many reasons for this. For one, I mentioned that the so-called Thomas Christians 
aka Syrian Christians, they claim that they were the descendants of, of Brahmins converted by Thomas himself. And they want to be recognized as a separate caste for that reason. In addition to that, and I'll go into this, the Santom Cathedral in Mylapore is a major pilgrimage site and it brings in a lot of money when and really it should be it should be given the same treatment that the Babri Masjid Mosque was given. This myth right. is also used to fool people because many people have this misconception that Christianity came with the with the British, when in reality there were other invaders that brought it over. But the point is they want to portray Christianity as being indigenous to India, just as much as Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism, even Sikhism. They want it, it gives them that legitimacy that even uh, Islam wouldn't necessarily get. Okay. So uh, they want to uh, portray themselves to be as uh, older to at least Sikhism and then claim uh, this to be an indigenous faith. Yes. And uh, yes. they say that, okay, it is akin to the Dharmic faith or the Omkara uh, faiths that uh, we talk about. So yes. probably try and lay claim to that kind of a status. Okay, so let's go into the myth now. That's it. The so, deeper analysis of this. Yes. So the, Thomas himself, according to some other sources, was actually a twin brother of, of Jesus. So the, the myth of Thomas came from the Gnostic text, Acts of Thomas, which was authored by one Bardesanis, who was from Edessa, Syria. And he, you know, he said that he, that Jesus had his twin brother, Thomas, Didymus. And then after Jesus's death, this Thomas fellow, whoever he was, went out to Syria, then to, to uh, Persia and Babylon, now Iran and Iraq. However, there is no actual proof that this Thomas fellow, a.k.a. Didymus, actually went out there. How, instead, it was actually a man named Thomas of Cana who was fleeing uh, the Roman Christianization of Rome and Asia Minor, of Europe and Asia Minor. The Romans were gaining steam and their version of Christianity was becoming the dominant version. All other versions were declared to be heretical and outlawed. The Christianity he spread were, had more uh, Jewish roots and was different from Roman Christianity, which has its roots in Pauline Christianity, which disavows Jewish roots. The early Christians, um, like the Thomas Christians, they believed that only Jews could follow this path and did not allow Gentiles. But Pauline Christianity said that the, that the, you know, the, what was required of Jews, of good Jews, practicing Jews, would not need to be required of Gentile converts, like circumcision or maintaining kosher, etc., etc. So the legend goes, this Thomas fellow came to a province of Fars, Persia. According, this is according to the Acts of Thomas. This was authored by Bardesanis once again, who was from Edessa, Syria. Yeah, but uh, I think this would be much later, isn't it? Because uh, St. Paul is uh, later in time uh, uh, compared to the chronology that is claimed for St. Thomas by the mythmakers. Yes, that's that's right. 
um, Saint, with the Paul, Pauline Christianity really started to rise um, around 70 AD, around, uh, between 50 and 70 AD. So it doesn't make sense that this fellow Thomas went to India to flee persecution in 52 AD, or CE, I should say. Right. Yeah, it really doesn't make sense. The chronology doesn't make sense. And I'll go into when we actually have any proof of the arrival of the Syrian Christians in a little bit, but more on Thomas. So he ended up in Fars, Persia, and he started to spread Christianity in, in, in that area with many people thinking, believing him to be mad, but then others fell under his spell. So people would convert and then afterwards they would be under the guardianship of this Thomas fellow and his appointed priest. And that includes uh, children who were separated from their families. Converts were then given sackcloth and doused their hair in oil and they were made to look unkempt and disheveled. He particularly liked to target young virgin women as well as children because they're the most easily suggestible and the most vulnerable. The king of Fars was named Misdeus or Mazai. And he was alarmed at what this Thomas fellow was doing because, but he became even more alarmed when a prince was converted. So he took action and he had his guards kill him. Now, let's take uh, the setting of Acts of Thomas. According to Bardesanus, he describes a desert like setting, which is more consistent with. Persia or, or Babylon, one could even argue that it's con it's consistent with Kandara, now Afghanistan, if you went out that far. That's not consistent with the lush, with the lush forest setting of, of Kerala, and it's certainly not consistent with, with Mylapore. And the name of this king, Mazai, that's not that's not even close to a Tamil name whatsoever or even Malayalam, not even close, wouldn't you say? Not even close. Right. So the timeline of the Thomas myth started with Christian refugees who were said to have come between in um, either the 4th century or the 8th century. There's a bit more proof that they came in the 4th century, supposedly. They okay. were... They were most likely directly from Syria and, and Persia, fleeing the increasing, most likely Syria, because the Christianization of, of Europe and Asia Minor went out that far. It didn't go out so far as uh, Persia. So they came directly from Syria. And they were basically fleeing the tyranny of the Roman version of Christianity. So that's consistent. So that is consistent with the rise of Roman Christianity. Certainly not. Roman Christianity actually it started persecuting people only after Constantine converted, and that was uh, uh, only three one three. And even Constantine was not so uh, severe as uh, later on. I think it's only yes. around three eighty that uh, Justinian came into power. Yes, that he started persecuting all other heretics or all other pagans big time. And that was the time that Christianity, uh, the Roman Christianity, was made the state religion. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, that is that is in, that is in, consistent. Yes, that's you're very correct. So 
That is most likely when the Thomas Christians came. They were fleeing that. But then later they invented their origin story and said that St. Thomas himself, and eventually they said that St. Thomas himself came to spread the gospel in in Kerala and, and what is now Tamil Nadu, even though there was no proof even in the Gnostic texts. Bardasanis was said to have written about an Eastern land, and it was implied to be India by later scholars, but as I described earlier, he describes a desert-like setting, but not, not a forest setting. So the Thomas myth began to get furthered by the explorer Marco Polo, who was said to have go out to, to the Far East, but in reality, he never set foot in India the most he may have gone, the most farthest he may have gone was China, but even there, there's no proof. And he said that St. Thomas was buried in the southern tip of India, now what is now Tamil Nadu. But he, he, like I said, he never set foot in the subcontinent. He also made some wild claims about Sri Lanka, there being there's some sort of sepulchre of a saint, but there was there's no such proof. Later, the Portuguese came and took over. Goa and what's now Kerala and part of Tamil Nadu as well. And it was what they made some of their own edits to Acts of Thomas so that it would be consistent with the Thomas coming to India myth. And they claimed that in Mylapore, the the Kapaleshwara temple was where Thomas was buried, so they destroyed the temple and and built Santon Cathedral on on the top of that, and it's stuck ever since. So we need to reclaim the Kapaleshwar Temple. That's why I said we should. It needs to be given the same treatment as the Babri Masjid. But the Archaeological Society of India has not done a serious study of of Santon Cathedral and other cathedrals and other churches that were built on top of temple ruins. In, in Tamil Nadu. They really need to. The same way that they paid attention to the site of the old Babri Masjid. Yeah. But, but as it took a long time for the Babri Masjid to get demolished, it's going to take a very long time for Santam Cathedral to be demolished. <laughs> now, the myth was added on to later by, with the, in, in later years, to add that it was Namub. Nambudiri Brahmins that with that were the ones that killed Thomas. In the Acts of Thomas, the word that's used to describe how the what killed Thomas was is berume, which means spear in Syriac. But it was confused accidentally and then deliberately with the word Brahmin. So then that lie stuck, basically. Then right. that is the, and that is the formation of the Thomas myth. And, and in a nutshell, again, this is a very extensive topic. And the lie has stuck around and people have been trying to keep the lie going through various means, various means. Uh, not only that, this lie has been actually uh, further uh, consolidated by even associating it with the uh, some of the uh, great Tamil figures, such as uh, Thiruvalluvar. Yes, yes. Um, with your permission, I would like uh, you to play a short clip of our 
Mission Kali's short film Dharma with uh, Dharmic so Heritage Protection Law. I'll, I'll transfer it to the desk for them to play it. Meantime, you please continue. They'll play it in about two, two minutes. Okay, yes, certainly. So many Christians in particular particularly in uh, southern in southern India, like the former Archbishop of Madras, Reverend Dr. R. Ayur Lappa, claimed that Thomas visited Tiruvalluvar the famous Tamil saint who authored Trikula. That's right. That's pretty outlandish. But to further that lie, this guy was conned by one John Ganesh, who was a self-styled Bible scholar who developed the theory that Christianity had its origins in India and claimed to have authentic proof uh, of like, like leaf writings, palm leaf writings and copper plates with inscriptions that described the meeting before Thomas supposedly with Tiruvalluvar. And the truth is he had no such proof at all. He was asked to send he was asked to send it officially with proof verifi with verification done by a, mu a museum. What this fellow did was he developed a system where he faked the seal of a museum that supposedly housed all these artifacts and then sent and then used the seal and sent those sealed photos to the reverend to make them look authentic. And he did that for many, many, many years. He also, he was given a lot of money by this, by Reverend Arulapa. And he traveled all through India, including to Kashmir, to see if there was any sort of proof. Okay. And here, here we have the clip. Okay, go ahead and play that. Make sure it's off mute. Now let's look at some false claims of ownership made by Christian missionaries about our cultural treasures. Shaivism and Vaishnavism are separate from Vedic traditions and are of Dravida origins. Shiva is the primal cause of the universe and its ruler is an idea borrowed from Christianity. And Shivism attained fullness only after the advent of Saint Thomas into India in 52 CE. They spread lies like, Shiva taking the poison to protect creation was modeled after Jesus sacrificing himself to save humanity. They called Parameshwar, Avatara, Moksha, Bhakti etc. as Christian concepts. Saint Thomas preached that God sent his son as savior. And a similar story was made up in Hinduism. Muragan worship was started in parts of India. Yes, yeah, that's how low, that's how deep the deception goes. That Thomas even inspired the formation of uh, Shaiva Siddhant and influenced Tiruvalluvar in that way. Uh, there's, there's some basic uh, problems with that. Shaiva Siddhant, uh, the, the entire time concept and the logic concept uh, and the cosmology that is part of uh, uh, Shaiva Siddhant would be considered heretical by the Christians. So why would uh, St. Thomas go and uh, inspire this kind of uh, heretical teaching? That's a good question, why they would want to keep up this myth. But again, that ties to wanting to show that Christianity is indigenous to India and going back to St. Thomas himself. Even going so far as to fake with palm leaf writings and copper plates to show that there was a meeting of minds between Thomas and Deluvaruval. I mean, he, this is just insane. Eventually, though, this John Ganesh was caught and a police case was filed against him. And he's been, he's, he's been in jail now. 
Okay. Indian jail? Yes. Okay. But the, the myth making that he did, that still continues. That still continue to be used. Yes, it's now so commonplace that every time with like around the hall, like around Christmas or Easter, there's always some sort of article in the in, in mainstream media, Indian mainstream media, like Indian Express, the Hindu Times of India, about the or about Saint Thomas and how he came and brought Christianity to India. There's always some sort of nonsense story like that. It's just very hard to dismantle. Though I'm though slowly the tide is starting to change. Slowly. One book I recommend for readers is The Myth of Saint Thomas and the Kapaleshwar Temple by one Ishwar Saran. He is affiliated with Voice of India. He's he, he the book is available online for free. You'll be able it's a very extensive read. There's a lot even I didn't know that and I think it would be very illuminating for viewers to to read that book. Oh yes, uh, I think especially the Kapaleshwar temple needs to be reclaimed. Uh, I think uh, uh, somewhere along the line, we need to start a movement to reclaim the Kapaleshwar temple. Yes. How is it that uh, uh, these, uh, what is called, I think it's almost uh, the same as the brutalities that they carried out, the Catholic Christians carried out in Goa, is at par with that. And, yes, indeed. Uh, I, I cannot understand um, St. Thomas, uh, whether he is patronized by the Portuguese Catholic uh, Christians or the Syrian Christians. Isn't there a conflict between the two? Initially, um, with, initially when the Portuguese arrived, the Syrian Christians actually turned, turned on their Hindu benefactors who welcomed them, welcomed them in centuries earlier and let them thrive. In fact, they are the richest community in Kerala and most of their chief ministers have been from that community. But the, when the Portuguese came, the Syrian Christians actually took their side and allowed them to make inroads and start and take over the and take over Kerala and take and let them rule. But what happened was the Portuguese forced them to to conform to Roman Catholic rituals and give up any sort of and give up any sort of their you know, old uh, pre, pre-Catholic pre uh, traditions, which had which were more Jewish in origin. So they were forced to conform. And now they're practically uh, another branch of the Roman Catholic uh, Church. There are There is a remnant that does adhere to the rites of the uh, pre-Catholic uh, St. Thomas, with the St. Thomas Church, but they're a minority. The majority of Syrian Christians now are basically Catholic. And there are a few Syrian Christians that recognize that the Portuguese also did also deceived them and and oppressed them, just like they did to Hindus. But uh, that, again, that's few and far between. The Portuguese were very smart to appropriate the myth of St. Thomas, which the Syrian Christians started. And that's how they were able, I suppose, to eliminate bad feelings between the two communities and assimilate the Syrian Christians into the larger Roman Catholic community. Uh, okay, right. Uh, that's, that's very interesting. Oh, uh, is there any movement? Uh, you also mentioned about the Pope 
and mm. uh, the Vatican actually not owning it. And uh, what's the story about that? The Pope Benedict himself uh, uh, actually contradicted it, and then the, there was some kind of a, a Christian pushback. Please tell us that story as well. Oh yeah. So in 2006, uh, Pope Benedict, that was the Pope back then, he made a proclamation about uh, Thomas saying that he went to Syria, then went to Persia and Babylon, and that from there, Christianity traveled to Babylon. I mean, not to Babylon, to India. Indian Christians raised a stink about it because they believe that St. Thomas came to India itself. And that makes a difference. And when his proclamation was uploaded on the official Vatican website, um, they had to amend it to say that he traveled to India and spread Christianity. Not that it came, not that Christianity itself filtered from Persia and Babylon to India that way. But even among Indian uh, bishops in the Catholic Church, they're starting to doubt the authenticity of the St. Thomas Smith. And that's more consistent with what their higher ups in the Vatican believe that there's no such proof that he himself came to India. But still, for reasons I listed earlier, they still want to, Indian Christians in particular, want to still keep it up. And the Vatican is not going to push back that strongly against that. Oh, yes. I, I suppose it suits the Vatican as well. Yes, and, it does. And, and, and that is why that. Uh, even someone uh, as knowledgeable as the national uh, spokesperson, uh, the chief national spokesperson of the BJP also uttered that. Usually he's quite right uh, about all the Indic matters, but here even he seems to have got deceived because probably he didn't have access to all this material that we have. Which is, which is really strange because this book by Voice of Indi published by Voice of India, authored by Ishwar Sharan, that's been out since the mid-1980s. And I would think that the BJP would be reading such important material put out by Voice of India, not just this particular book, but even books by Sitaram Goel on Christianity, like the many good ones like uh, Jesus Christ, Artifice of Aggression, or History of Hindu-Christian Encounters. I would think he'd be well-versed on it, but it's turning out that people in the BJP are chest they're, they're turning out to be a they're turning out to be a real disappointment they're made out to be these ooh, these fascists in the especially where i live i keep hearing how modi's this this hitler equivalent but he doesn't even act like it he he he, he seems rather he and others in the bjp seem rather clueless <laughs> they don't even push back no Yes, I, I agree with you. That uh, actually is quite disappointing. It's not just uh, on the Christian question, but also on the Islamic question. Uh, they seem, simply seem to buy off the myths that the Islamists propagate at times. It's only uh, people like you and me who are pushing back. <laughs> and, uh, and the, all we have is the support of uh, our viewers here. And viewers, of course, have been very consistent and very strong in their support. And uh, I think it is... Uh, that we also exposed uh, some of these Christian myths. So I think Jaipur Dialogue has been exposing a lot of Islamic myths. But about Christian myths, I think we haven't done so much. Uh, and with the, the assistance of Mission Kali, we hope to bring more and more of these uh, 
deceits, especially the subtle deceits that the Christians carry out, they have been far more subtle uh, right from the time of the 19th century. And they have been playing mind games. They have, in fact, captured the minds of a lot many people in South of India and uh, seem to have established that particular discourse, which actually led to this uh, Dravidian-Aryan kind of of politics in Tamil Nadu. Yeah. um, The, you know, the myth that's propagated that by certain uh, Tamil Christians about Thomas uh, encountering and visiting with Tiruvalluvar, that's been pushed um, in part to strengthen Dravidian politics. That the very beloved Tamil Sant Tiruvalluvar, beloved by all Tamil people, was in fact not. He had no. He he did not propagate Vedic thought. They also propagate that Shaivism and Vaishnavism are separate from from Vedic thought. Vedic philosophy, and that it is in that it's unique itself to Dravid with to the Dravidian land into the Dravidian uh, culture. So they, there's another there's another aspect of why the myth still continues and how it's tied up with Dravidian identity, which is completely fabricated. We're all part of the same fabric, and always have been. We've never been separate. So what do you think is the way ahead? How, how should we dismantle uh, this myth-making? Uh, how we should uh, uh, dismantle this Dravidian myth as well? Of course, we have been uh, propagating the lies of the Aryan invasion theory, which is a part parcel of this. Uh, the Anybody who actually goes deep into it would find that uh, uh, the stories and the myth-making around St. Thomas are actually completely contrary to the myth-making that is done using the Aryan invasion theory. And yet they are not able to call it out. Hmm. Yes. Because uh, the the myth-making from Aryan uh, invasion theory, uh, it, it has two different legs, but in the Christian lore, they use the what is called the mosaic uh, astrology, where they use a particular kind of a race theory to make this uh, differentiation between the uh, Aryans in the north and the Dravidians of the south. But where would the Syrian Christians fit into that? Yeah, that's still something I, yeah, I have no idea where that would. Uh fit in, especially if Syrian Christians claim that they're the descendants of Nambudiri Brahmins. Aren't, don't Brahmins have an origin, Aryan origin? So uh, how, how would they appropriate the Dravidian identity? Well, that's very uh, interesting. There's many onion layers to this deception. I, I don't <laughs> even know where to start, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Friends, I would urge you to please uh, start asking questions uh, because we are nearing the end of our talk. Uh, and uh, we would then welcome the audience questions. So uh, what would you think uh, would be the right way ahead to dismantle this uh, deception? Well, um, I believe, for one, that there needs to be a serious archaeological study on the true origins of not just 
churches like the Santon Cathedral, but I would also include mosques. There needs to be a more comprehensive archaeological survey, just like what was done at Babri Masjid. And if there is any proof of temples being, of there being temple ruins, then there needs to be a serious, there's serious discussions and laws passed to make sure that those, you know, temp churches or mosques that were built on, on destroyed temples need to be claimed back, need to be given by the Wakaf board or the church board to, with, to, you know, rebuild those temples. And there also needs to be an overhaul of the educate of the syllabus, especially regarding the St. Thomas myth. And this needs to be taught at all levels from primary school all the way up to university. That will require an overhaul of the education system. And they haven't even really made any big changes to the syllabus in recent years. Am I correct? I'm yeah, talking with BJP correct. government. They, they pride themselves on it, not having changed a single sentence. One of the ministers said, we haven't changed a single sentence. And of course, the only thing that they are planning to change is to bring gender sensitization towards LGBTQ, that kind of a thing. India is not even close to ready to woke ideology. Why is it jumping ahead? It hasn't even reconciled past problems and it hasn't even reconciled true the true history of India. Why is it going on to these stupid Western fads? It's just ridiculous. Uh, that's because the, the, the powers that be are alive to the leftist threat. They think the leftists are their friends, so they can be befriended. You think left can be befriended? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I don't even want to go there. But um, another thing that another law that needs to be passed is what we just made a film on, Dharmic Heritage Protection Law, which would which would outlaw these sort of lies and deception and also the misappropriation of our sacred color like saffron, our rituals, agamas, etc. And would make that illegal. And that would prevent the further erosion of Sanatan Dharma. And this will attack the St. Thomas myth and the other myths surrounding it because they would because those that propagated would need to show proof that there was indeed a meeting of minds between Thomas and Thiruvalavad, for example, and that Thomas influenced the formation of, of Shaiva Siddhant. But they have no such proof at all whatsoever, and they would need they would need to be held accountable, and they would be held accountable under such a law. That's another yes, way. Uh, in, in fact, uh, they can be held accountable even under existing law. How so? Even under the existing law, it's a, this is a criminal misappropriation. And uh, uh, I think uh, a well thought out complaint under criminal misappropriation should hold. That's what uh, I think. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, on that uh, note, uh, I think uh, we can go to the audience question. I think there's only one or two questions that we can take. And uh, before that, I have to request everyone to please uh, like